Well, hi, welcome to Auckland EV. My name is Rowan, one of the pastors here. Today, as we think through the big questions of life, we'll be thinking about, is, is God just a, a figment of our imagination? Gnomes, leprechauns, ogres, mermaids, unicorns, the Loch Ness Monster, the Tooth Fairy, Bigfoot, zombies, vampires, and the boogeymen. All of them are just figments of our imagination, right? They're made up stories from the school camps of yesteryear to the advertising and animation studios of today. The question for us is, is God just another name on the list of the figments of our imagination? Now, I've got no doubt that some people do indeed make up their version of God. You know, we want a story to believe in, to make ourselves feel better about the future or perhaps a way to deal with the guilt from our past. We all run the risk of believing what we'd like to be true. Because as we saw last week, we live in a world that says what's true for you is true for you. You can be whoever you want to be and believe whatever you want to believe. We live in a post-truth world where everything's relative. And so the story goes, if you want to believe in Santa Claus and Tooth Fairy and Leprechauns and the Boogeyman, then that's good for you. And there's a sense where for many people, the idea of God is just another one of those stories. That if you really want to believe it, well, you can, you know, good for you. But if we're honest, a large portion of the Western world thinks that God is just a figment of our imagination. At best, a crutch humanity has made up to get us through life. At worst, maybe a, a human invention of control and enslavement designed to suppress humanity and give power to one particular group of people. Right? That got dark pretty quickly, didn't it? <laughs> well, at this present moment, there's an estimated 7.9 billion people in the world, speaking upwards of 4,000 languages, spread across somewhere between 195 and 237 countries, depending on whose list you go off. And the United Nations tells us that in every one of those countries, there are people, 2 billion in fact, who share one faith story. The story of Jesus ben Yosef, or Jesus, son of Joseph. This story has captured the heart of a third of the world's population. But is it actually true? <laughs> Have you ever heard the story of the blind men and the elephant? There's a group of blind men and they come across a strange object that none of them has ever encountered before. They try and work out what it is. The first one, feeling its trunk, is kind of convinced it's a snake. The second one, placing his hands on something hard and long and tall and round, is convinced that it's much bigger than a snake. He argues it's, no, it's some kind of walking tree. The third one thinks the other two are crazy. He feels something that's wide and flat, like, like the wall of a house. It's a house, he says. Well, the fourth disagrees again. He just feels something skinny, like, like, a, like a rope with a, with a fuzzy head on the end. He says it's a, it's a gigantic rope insect swooshy roper. That's what he wants to call it. The point of the story is that each of the blind men hold a different perspective on what they experience and feel in life and therefore come to different conclusions. The illustrations often applied to humanity's view of God, all describing the same entity, God, but from different perspectives. You know, in a way, people say that they're all right. It's just that none of us have the full picture. <laughs> Therefore, there can't just be one way to God or one concept of God. But the problem is, how does the teller of the story know the animal is an elephant? That's what the story requires, right? How do people know all religions are just describing aspects of the same deity. That requires just as much a leap of faith as any of the blind men because they can't see either. 
The assertion that there can't be one true way to God is just as much an assertion that there is only one true God. The only way to know that there isn't just one way to God would be to claim that you have the ultimate perspective on truth. And in the illustration, you've just said that nobody has that. You see, it takes just as much faith to disbelieve God than it does to believe in Him. However, Christianity comes along and points out a fact that we often miss. To take the illustration a little further, it really is the elephant in the room. Christianity says, what if the elephant speaks? Hello, I'm an elephant. <laughs> you know, no, you're not. You're a paradox. Uh, no, I'm an elephant. No, no, you're a snake. <laughs> no, that's my trunk. No, you're a wall. Mm, no, that's my side. You're a made-up figment of humanity's imagination invented by mankind to control the world and give power to an elite few. No, I love you and have made you. And I've stepped into the world I created. I died in your place, raised back to life again so that you might live forever with me in the new creation I am making. You see, Christianity is unique among the world religions. The concern of Christianity is not just timeless spiritual truths or principles to live by, like Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism. It's not a mythical story of, of one people group that has no tangible cross-section with the rest of the world. The basis of Christianity is tangible historic events. As real as the Twin Towers falling on September 11 or the Rugby World Cup being won by New Zealand here at Mount Eden in 2011, Christianity claims that the events of Jesus' life actually happened in Palestine between 5 BC and, and 30 AD. So the claim of Christianity is that the true and living God has spoken. We might all be groping around in the dark, describing what we think God is or isn't. We might think the idea of God is made up. But if God can speak, if He can tell us who He is, it doesn't matter what we think He is or isn't. What matters is who He says He is. Have you ever had one of those moments where you meet someone and they think they know you better than you know yourself? They've got some idea made up about you in, the, in their head about the way you act and why you do the things you do. And no matter what you say or do, it, it doesn't change their mind. We call it attributing motive. We all do it because we all try to connect the dots between what we experience of someone and what we think they'd be um, motivating them to act in a certain way. Problem is, it's horrible. We should never attribute motive to someone. We just don't know why they're doing what they're doing. We can talk about their actions and the impact their actions have on us, but we can't say, you said this to me because you hate me. We don't know they hate us. Not unless they've said that they hate you, right? But so often, we attribute our view of God, whether He is there or not, what He is like, what He thinks of us, to our own conceptions of Him, to our imaginations. We hate it when others do it to us, but so often we do it to God, don't we? The thing I want to make unmistakably clear today is that the elephant speaks. The first century writer John records uh, Jesus as saying these words, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And about Jesus, uh, John says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. Now, 
Anyone could say those words. I just said them. Doesn't make me God, right? The first century writer Peter, he says these words about what Jesus said and did. 2 Peter 1 verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He claims we ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were there with him on the mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed and you'll do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What history shows is that Jesus claims the things he did, the things he said, they weren't just empty words, but they were backed up by action. So I want to invite you to come with me to another first century account of the life of Jesus by someone who who was there, who heard what he had said. Have a look with me at Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together, there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. Here, this man Jesus is teaching. He's not in some fancy person's house, not a fancy house, not the house of of a big shot, just some ordinary house, some place that is there in first century Israel. And what had been happening is that everywhere this man Jesus went, people flocked to listen to him. You don't have to just take the writers of the Bible's word for that. We actually have it recorded in other non-Christian accounts too, like Josephus. He was an aristocrat who lived around the first century, somewhere around AD 37 to 100. He was a military general and a historian and not a friend of Christians. And he says that Jesus performed what he calls paradoxa erga, baffling deeds. In his massive work, The Jewish Antiquities, Josephus provides an account of the entire history of the Jewish people up until his day. Now, he could have had no idea at the time that out of everything he wrote, just two small paragraphs would capture the world's attention. He said this, About this time... There lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds, was a teacher of such people as accepted the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. Now, there's no doubt about it. Jesus, son of Joseph, certainly made a mark on the world he stepped into. So many people gathered around the world to listen to him and around his teaching. And so here he is. At somebody's house, when this happens, look with me at Mark chapter 2, verse 3. They came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, these scribes are the religious people of the day. They're kind of the the Bible college geeks. But they're not only religious people. They're all the representative heads of the Jewish state, political figures. These guys are the big shots, the big cheese of the day. And they're pretty grumpy about what Jesus is doing and saying. That's why they've come out. Now, if Jesus was a nobody, if he was all talk, This wouldn't have happened. He he wouldn't be what 
two non-Christian Cambridge University professors, Skinner and Ward, now claim is the most influential person in Western history. Now, these friends of this paralytic have also heard about Jesus. And they're so committed to their paralyzed friend that they'll do just about anything to get him to Jesus. I want you to imagine the scene. Room is packed out. There's no room anywhere. Jesus is there talking. Everywhere else is silent. Then chunks of the roof start getting peeled off. It's not long before there's a gaping hole in the the roof and it's not a skylight. Then there's a guy on a mat being lowered into the room. (laughs) Now these, these are awesome friends. They'll do just about anything to bring their friend to Jesus. And if you're here today and your friends never stop banging on about Jesus, they keep inviting you to come check him out, it's because they think he's the real deal. Not because it's nice for them, but because as you hear him speak, you meet your maker. If you're a bit frustrated, you keep getting invited to church or to hear about Jesus, maybe ask your friend, why are you so insistent? What is so big about Jesus that makes you want to keep going on about him? But here we get a hint of what that is. Here is this paralyzed man lying on the mat at the feet of Jesus. I'd imagine you could have heard a pin drop in the room. This this man's problem is obvious. But what Jesus says to him is weird. Look at verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I was a paralyzed man and my mates had brought me to the only guy I think might be able to make me walk again, And then he said some wishy-washy religious psychobabble, son, your sins are forgiven. I'd be like, come on. Like, can't you see my problem? My legs. My biggest problem is my legs. But Jesus is saying to him here, your legs aren't your biggest problem. Jesus knows he has problems. He's seen his suffering and he'll get to that. But what Jesus is showing us here is that the main problem in people's lives is never their suffering, but their sin. And you've got to feel for this guy. I'm sure like every other paralyzed man or woman in this world, every fiber of his being is going, if only I could walk, if only you would heal me, then things would be better. Then I'd be able to get my life on track. Then I'd be happy. But Jesus is saying, my son, you're mistaken. Do you think if I healed you, you'd have everlasting happiness? Do you really think if you could walk, everything would be okay? But it's the lie we all believe. If only I had a partner, everything would change. If only my health were better, or if I had a, a better job, if only I had more financial security, if, if, if only I had kids, or if only I had a better life circumstance. What is it for you? What are your if-onlys? See, if every single one of the if-onlys that pop into our head happened tomorrow, I'd give myself six months max And I'll be right back where I am today with just a different list, a longer list of (laughs) if-onlys. We are never satisfied. And we know that, but we keep going, hoping the next thing will satisfy, the next experience in life. Cynthia Heimel is an American writer who, who knew a few famous people. What's different about her is that she knew them both before and after they were famous. This is what she says of their accomplishments, and I'll quote her. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Barbara Streisand all wanted fame. And the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Why, she says. The giant thing that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay and make their lives bearable and provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened. And they were still them. The disillusionment turned them in howling and insufferable messes. 
Then she says this great line. It could almost be taken straight out of what the Bible says. She goes, I think when God wants to play a really rotten little joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish, then giggles merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. (laughs) Wow. You know what Jesus is saying to the paralytic? I'm not going to play that rotten joke on you. I'm not going to just give you your deepest desire and wish, but I will give you your deepest need. When we look to those lists of if onlys, we're so often looking to them to save us, to pull us out of our, our, our pity and our need and to give us security and hope and joy. But here's the thing, they won't. They haven't for me. They didn't for those famous people. Jesus says our deepest need is forgiveness. And not just any forgiveness, forgiveness for our sin, forgiveness for turning our backs on the true and living God. Forgiveness for everything we've ever done and said and thought as we've turned our backs on that true and living God. And what's amazing about this account in history, the passage that we're looking at today, is that that is what Jesus gives. He gives the deepest need. That's why people flock to him. This guy who came through the roof didn't even know he had this need. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that's a massive statement. No other religious leaders say this. Muhammad, Krishna, Buddha, they don't say your sins are forgiven. They say we've uncovered this process by which you can go through these rituals and routines and sufferings and potential reincarnations and pay God back. And maybe someday he'll forgive you if you earn it. It's a massive process, a prescription of advice to follow. But here, Jesus says four words and it happens. Your sins are forgiven. Now, when the teachers of the law, the religious guys, the the big cheeses that were there, when they hear what Jesus said, their little rule-keeping, textbook-loving brains go wild. Alarms are going off everywhere in their heads. It's like throwing a hot chip to a bunch of seagulls. They'll, They'll squawk and carry on and make a big deal because these scribes know that sin is against God. So when Jesus claims to forgive this guy's sin, their heads go wild. That's, what, that's why they say in verse 7, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they have a point. Let me show you what I mean. Imagine that while you're watching this today, I come round to your place, unbeknownst to you, and out of the kindness of my heart, get out my key, and I write in the side of your car, um, Rowan thinks you are awesome. And I put an exclamation mark, Rowan. Now, you're like, what is wrong with you? And you'd be right to say, I've got a few screws loose. Maybe you think I do anyway. (laughs) But who would do that? Who would actually do that? But then, you know, someone else just pops along, someone you're gathering with, they stand up in the room and go, it's okay, Rowan, I forgive you for scratching their car. Who do they think they are? They can't forgive me when I didn't do anything wrong against them. I wronged you. You're the one I've offended. You're the only one that can offer forgiveness. And that's, exactly the point the religious leaders are trying to make to Jesus. They've actually got something right. Whatever this paralytic has done, it's between him and his maker. And if we have no maker, then we're not accountable to anyone. There is no right or wrong, no moral absolutes. If we're all just accidents, then survival of the fittest wins in the end. There's no moral right or wrong. But history claims something very different. Jesus claims to be God. And that's exactly the point 
That's what's got these religious big shots so hot under the collar, is that he's claiming to be God, the one that we have offended, the one who made us, the one who we are responsible to. And he says that he will forgive us. He's claiming to be God. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what weight you're carrying on your shoulders, what memories you wish you could forget, what words you wish you could take back, what, what actions, what thoughts. But Jesus offers me and you forgiveness. He, he, he knows what these religious people are like. He knows what we're like. And then we go, well, who is he to do this? Is God really real? Isn't he just a figment of our imagination? And so in real history, Jesus steps in and does what happens next in verse 9. He gives them this proposition. Verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Now for you and I, we can't do either. We can't forgive sins. We're not God. I can't say to someone who's paralyzed, get up and walk. It'll just be wrong and twisted. But the easiest thing to say would be to say your sins are forgiven because you can't really tell, can you? Forgiveness doesn't show outside signs. There's no way to verify that this man's sins have been really forgiven between him and God. And from where everyone else is standing in the room, nothing's going to change. However, if Jesus were to say, get up, take your mat and walk, well, everyone would see the results right then and there, that they'd see that he's claiming to be God and more than that, that he has power over sickness, that he has power over the whole world. So he says in verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you might know that the Son of Man, which is Jesus' name for himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, that I'm God. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, we don't have time today to look over everything Jesus said throughout history. I want to encourage you to read Mark's account of the life of Jesus or, or Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. We'll be looking at that as a church in a few weeks. But I took us to this one instance so you could get a grasp of who Jesus is. These people they're not naive. They didn't think that, oh, this happened all the time. They were amazed. They'd never seen anything like it. They were amazed by what Jesus said and did. And it's by hearing Jesus speak, seeing that he really is part of human history and that he has spoken and acted. And by doing that, and, and only by doing that, we get to hear God and we get to see who we are, that we are people who have rejected the true and living God. It's like far out, Jesus is God. We're, we're people who've not treated him as God, people who are in need of forgiveness. Now you, you might say, oh, I don't think God exists. I don't think I need forgiveness. But history shows in the person of Jesus, God showed up. In the person of Jesus, we meet our maker. This is no fable. This actually happened in human history. The question for us is, Will we continue to, to grope around in the dark, holding on to our own views of God or life? Or will we actually be humble enough to ask, what if the elephant speaks? And the best news of Jesus, the best news of what God has said, what the elephant says is what he says to the paralytic and what he says to you and me. In John 14, 6, we heard it at the start of this talk. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. Jesus sees you and me when we're at our worst. He knows when we've turned our backs on him. He knows what you and I have done. He made us. And each time we reject him, each time we look for a savior or satisfaction somewhere else, it grieves him because he alone is our savior. In him alone is true satisfaction. But despite what we've done, knowing full well what we have done, Jesus still offers you and me forgiveness. Restored relationship with the God who made us. Life that lasts forever. In fact, Jesus is so eager to forgive us, so eager to pour out his love on us, that he even responds to the smallest cry for help. In fact, he creates his own openings. The paralytic wasn't trying to believe. He was trying to find um, healing in his legs, not forgiveness. But Jesus comes after him. So eager is Jesus to receive us and help us and forgive us that he even takes our weak and feeble cries for help and shows us his forgiveness. And maybe today that's exactly what he's doing. See, there is nothing Jesus can't forgive. There is nothing Jesus can't forgive. It's nothing about you he doesn't already know. He's seen it all. He's seen your heart and he's seen my heart and he still says, come to me. I've laid down my life in your place. So stop trying to pretend we can work life out on our own. The moment we stop trying to fake it, that we've got it all together, that we stop trying to find our fulfillment in our next achievement and come to the one who offers satisfaction and forgiveness. Come to the creator of the universe, the one who died in our place and took the punishment for us, turning our backs on God. The moment we come to him and ask for forgiveness is the moment we have life. Jesus, he's no fairy tale. He's not the boogeyman or the fairy godmother. He's a real person who lived in real history, who said real words and backed them up with real actions. The question for you and me today is, Will we grapple with reality or we stand like a bunch of blind men at the foot of the elephant, refusing to listen to him speak? Your future, your eternity depends on how you respond to what Jesus has said and done. It's my prayer that today, as we come and hear what Jesus has said, as we see that he's acted in real history, that we might recognize that he is God and Him alone. Come to Him and trust Him. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that You have made Yourself known through the person of Jesus, that Jesus really did step into our world and that through Him we hear our Maker, we meet our Maker. So many of us, we grapple, we want more information, we want to know more and we know, Lord, that You have provided so much in history where You really have stepped in with real events that we, that we need to deal with. But we ask that today, for each and every one of us listening, you would show yourself as more than just a figment of our imagination, but as the person of Jesus who has stepped into human history, who has died in our place and risen again. Father, we are sorry for the times that we've tried to fill our lives with all sorts of satisfaction apart from you. We thank you so much that you've offered us forgiveness and life in Jesus. And that we can live knowing that the new creation, life after death is ours for those who trust in Jesus' death in our place. And so we pray that today that you would come and by your spirit, you'd grow us to be more like Jesus, helping us to trust him and live for who he is, the king of the world and the king of our lives. 
We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.